When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Speak up at once, Derek. We've got the cue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome, everybody, back to the PHLY Sixers podcast. I am Derek Bonner, joined once again by Kyle Newbeck. We got Devon Givens behind the glass, even though it's not really a glass, but we'll keep using that phrase. How you doing, Kyle? I'm hanging in there. I'm uh, honestly overwhelmed by the reception to the launch yesterday. I, I think that feeling is mutual amongst most of the company, but uh, the amount of people we heard from, whether it was, you know, Sixers fans, my friends, my family. I had a, an encounter with somebody in Center City. Got a big congratulations from someone yesterday who had heard the news, and that was really cool. So I, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm really having a good time so yeah. far. No, I, the um, response has been overwhelming. Like you had people reaching out on every platform possible. If I haven't gotten back to you, I do apologize about that. But it's great to see, and certainly not just from our show, although we are the center of our own universe, so I'm happy about that. But seeing the reaction that every other show is getting, um, it's been uh, it's been tremendous. It's been, I think, you had expectations coming in, and I think it's exceeded that by leaps and bounds. Yeah, sure. I mean, we've already, we have people sitting, waiting to get into the chat. We have my guy, Sal, who I know exactly who that is from Twitter, trying to make the worst possible. We're not doing Imagine it. Imagine Dragon. buddy joke in the history of man time so you should imagine dragging yourself to a better joke sal i mean you gotta revisit that bit and, and create a new one but uh appreciate you being here i appreciate I see gavin i see luca i see ty ty i see a lot of people in here ready to talk about some paul reed and traquavion <laughs> smith and Jaden springer and you know the true off-season sickos are here with us so you know, let's just uh, let's get rolling, I think. Yeah. You know, I think launch day, we had to talk about James Harden. I'm sorry. It's just hard to escape that when you're talking about this team. Today, we want to pivot and do a little something a little bit more optimistic. So we're going to start off by ranking the Sixers top players under 25. Um, and that's under 25, not inclusive of 25. So like DeAnthony Melton, who I think is right at 25. He doesn't make the cut. He's like 25 in 100 days, so you might as well take him out back and right. shoot him like old Yeller, and he's just <laughs> yes. too old. I say that as someone in their 30s who I wake up every day with back pain. But Ferk doesn't make the cut. Really, we're talking about like Maxi, um, you know, Paul Reed, the two mainstays, and a couple of younger players who haven't really made an imprint yet on this roster. So I guess we'll just start off. I think the top two, it would be hard to have any real disagreement how we would have them ranked. Tyrese Maxi number one, Paul Reed number two. Kyle, are you going to completely surprise me and change those rankings? No, uh, I do believe we have some sort of graphic. There we go. Look at Derek's beautiful avatar <laughs> over there. Obviously, the I think the top one was no surprise to anybody. And Derek's first article for PHLY yesterday, which you guys should all go to the site and read, was a lot about you know how Tyrese is basically the future and the hope and you know their only real path to yeah. considerable growth and, and maybe being that contender that people have wanted them to be so i think tyrese maxi ranking at the top really doesn't 
no. warrant tons of explanation. I guess the only thing to extrapolate off of that is, what do you think is the most realistic uh, path to another leap for him? Obviously, we've seen the big shooting jump. Yeah. Is it shooting more? Is it adding, you know, something new to his toolbox or you know, what is that you're, so with maxi and, and to your point like we might end up over the course of the season nitpicking tyrese maxi but that's because his growth can mean so much through the franchise because we're, what we're nitpicking is can he go from being maybe a top 40 top 50 player and i know there's probably people in the chat who are like no no he's top 25 right now it's like well when you start actually going through some of the players in the league there's a lot of really good players yeah can he make that jump from top 40, top 50 to top 25 comfortably? So it's really like it's taking his things that he's not great at, trying to make him better, not because he's not great and we don't love him, but because he's the one path they have of really being a truly dynamic team. But in terms of his own growth, you know, we talked about the passing a lot yesterday. I think that's the biggest thing the Sixers need. But there's other little things. You'd like to see him get to the free throw line a little bit more. You'd like to see his defense improve. Part of that's working on his body. And quite frankly, you know, since he's gotten in the league, he has gotten stronger. It's yeah. not where it needs to be. It's probably not where it will be when he's 26, 27. But I think he's making pretty good growth with that. But he also, like, he's got to get through screens better. Like, he dies on screens. It reminds me a little bit of Lou Williams and the fact that every screen seems to blow him up. And there's a lot of miscommunication. Uh, if you go back and watch a lot of the like screens where people are like holding their hands up and, and looking confused, yeah. a lot of that was Maxi and Harden pick and rolls. Um, so you'd like to see his awareness in that regard get better. There are certainly steps he can improve. And you'd like to see the volume go up. If you could be a 10 three-point per game kind of guy, that would help the offense as well. There's, so there's certainly areas to improve, um, but he is so comfortably out in front of everyone else on this under 25 list. That um, it was a surefire agreement. I mean, so before, breaking news, a kind of analysis. <laughs> before I respond to all that, which I think was very good, I want to highlight uh, Sam Meyer's comment real quick. As somebody who avoided all Sixers talk after the season, who is Terquavion Smith and Ricky <laughs> Council? I think that's a good illustration of like, look, we have a lot of people in here who yeah. are like watched every summer league game. We're all in on the draft, even though they had very little in the yep. way of draft maneuverability but we are going to get to to Beyond smith and ricky council yes they are the they're two-way real people. guys they're uh, real people. To, yeah. to stay on the point that derek was on regarding tyrese maxey you brought up defense at one point uh something that we saw more in the playoffs but certainly toward the end of the year a little more and obviously different coaching staff we'll see if they use them the same way uh doc rivers freed him up and said we're going to have you press 94 feet and you're yeah. going to pick up ball handlers full court. And I think that style of defense was something that got Tyrese noticed at the amateur level. I know coming out of Kentucky, he had actually a much stronger defensive reputation than he has now. I actually think that was one of the, the selling points. Despite his size, there were people who said, look, this is a kid who cares on defense, who gets after it, who wants to be a good defender and will get into your chest. And so I think Doc having done that at the end of the year, I think Nick Nurse is going to look at something like that and say, that's kind of the blueprint for maybe where he might start with Maxi. Because yeah. I know his plan for Joel, his plan for Paul Reed, his plan for the bigs is largely centered on, we're going to have our guards and our wings really fly out and attack. Mm -hmm. And if, People beat them, that's okay, because we have our rim protector waiting at the rim. So I, I, I am in lockstep with you that I think defense is maybe you know one of the things that could really improve for him. Yeah, and to your point, and I don't want to get too deep into this because we have a segment later on in the show about what changes we might see with Nick Nurse at the helm, but he is going to embrace, he is going to try full-court press, trapping a lot more than Doc Rivers did. Part of that's great because Tyrese Maxey has that kind of speed to pressure the ball, Part of that, he has to improve his communication uh, and, and that kind of a defense where you've got everyone kind of scrambling to recover. You've got to be in lockstep with each other. He wasn't at times last year. That's an area he's got to get better at. And quite frankly, that's one with improvement I think is very fixable. Yeah. So, by the way, shout out to, to Gavin watching this at your internship. Says if he gets fired, it'll be worth it. That's the... Uh, I don't know that I, I would endorse get you fired. getting fired yeah. on our behalf, but I, I really appreciate the, uh, the sentiment for sure. Yep. All right, so the second player on the list, Paul Reed. Again, we talked a little bit about him yesterday on yesterday's pod. Yeah. What makes him I mean, what makes him clear number two is that we're talking about Jaden Springer and Turquavion Smith number three and four, so there's a pretty yeah, big leap. Yeah, it's kind but, of a, you know. Yeah. A, 
it's damning with faint praise in some ways, but I, yeah, I do but think that we like him. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I love him. You know, there are definitely clear limitations for Paul, and we've seen those. There, there's a reason that the Paul Reed victory tour comments happened with Doc Rivers, and I believe it was you that Doc was maddest about during that press conference. That uh, so that was not too fun for us at the time, but. You know, Paul, I think, is a guy – I think the most important thing I've seen from him, and I think the coaches probably would agree, is that he has really bought into – he's given a role, he's told this is what you need to focus on, and he's put all his energy on the floor into being that guy. Now, I think that might change this year based on what we've heard from Nick Nurse, but I think the concern early on when we were first introduced to B-Ball Paul is – this is just a guy who's going out there and, and freestyling and freewheeling. And he's going to do some crazy shit. He's going to bring the ball up the floor when he shouldn't. He's going to throw a crazy pass through the legs or behind the back or try to take on three defenders at once and run them over. But I think as he's grown, he's gotten more experience. And frankly, he's put in tons of time in the gym. I think you've seen him become more of a traditional rim runner, finisher around the basket. I honestly think, and I don't know if... You saw this as well, Derek. I think his craft around the basket and mm-hmm. his finishing ability has considerably improved. Like very much. He's a he was a good finisher in the sense that you could give it to him and he can dunk it and yeah. all that. But no, he's got I body think control now, and touch. Yeah, 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 I think his ability to finish around length and around you know potential shot blockers, use the rim as a you know a shield, which is a thing we see guards do a lot. Mm-hmm. But as kind of an undersized big, I think we've seen Paul do a lot more of that stuff and yeah. improve his game in that way. No, and that's why that jump shot is big, not only because it allowed him to play next to Joel Embiid, but if he ever gets a closeout and he has a, a lane to attack, he can actually do something with that. Um, might try to do a little too much. We'll get into that. There is a comment here that uh, Nick Nurse will empower young players more than Doc. I'm not sure history necessarily bears that out. You can go to uh, Toronto's last few years. Now, maybe that was a um, you know problem with the drafting more than the development. Who knows? There's always a chicken and egg battle there. They did not play a lot of young players in that system. I, what I will say to that point, though, is I think he has more of an appetite for players making mistakes. And specifically, if a player is getting after it defensively, he will give you the ball, and even if it's not a high-value possession, give you a chance to make a play, sort of like reward you for that effort you're giving defensively. I feel like we saw that a little bit with OG over the last couple of years. Like, yeah, maybe you're not a natural pick and roll ball handler, but you're doing so much for us. Just have this possession and do what you want. He might have more of an appetite for Paul Reed's mistakes on offense than maybe Doc Rivers did because he's valuing what, what Paul Reed does more on defense than yeah. Doc Rivers did. I, I see Finney Chase said that they need a, a B-ball, Mo Bamba, Joel Embiid lineup. Honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that Montrez Harrell got hurt, we might have seen the rare... Yeah five centers lineup. The fact that they're carrying all these big men is still pretty wild to me, considering their best player is a center and the feel, MVP of last season. But I feel like I'm so much farther out on all big lineups or even two or three big lineups <laughs> than almost everyone else in the fan base. Um, but we will look regularly. It's a thing to be funny and yep. crazy, but yep. yeah, I, I don't have any real interest in seeing that as a, uh, a real basketball lineup. No, we'll put no, it that way. No, I don't. Um, all right. So we have the top two off the board. I think you took with your third player, um, somebody who maybe never, a lot of people are going to be surprised by it. I would think. There were already it, some su- surprise that I see, a, including Joaquin, some that don't even know who Turquavion Smith is. So why don't yeah. we go ahead and let us know why you went with him? Yeah. Over well, the so for commodity. the people who don't know Turquavion Smith, he's one of their two way guys that they were able to snag right after the draft ended that I, I think it was viewed largely as a, a big coup. Cause I think there were people who were thinking he might be a, top of the second round at worst middle of the second round guy and you know coming out of nc state he certainly has his concerns right he's a small skinny kid who's a guard and they already have a lot of small maybe not skinny guards but certainly you know tyrese maxey not a big guy even pat bev not a big guy tough guy but not a big guy and so turk on paper brings defensive concerns where do you put him who does he guard what does he do but I think in summer league, what I was impressed by, he's obviously like an unconscious scorer when he gets going. Guy who will pull up from 30, 35 feet and often did so when he was in college. He's a guy that shows very little fear mm-hmm. at any given time. But I think we saw a little bit more from him in the other areas. You know, Derek and I were talking before the podcast. 
he is he was an active defender and, and a guy who could get around some screens in summer league he's going to be hit by better screens and bigger and better players at, at the nba level but i think that's a little bit better than i was expecting i also think the sixers gave him now granted this is summer league the competition level's not high but I think he was playmaking more and, and given more opportunities on the ball to create than I would have expected. And, you know, if James Harden is not going to be here or doesn't play or whatever mm -hmm. happens with him and Tyrese becomes that you're the de facto point guard and you're the guy who leads the first unit, well, you need to start figuring out who are your secondary creators? Who can you bring in off of the bench perhaps? And they can have the ball in their hands and get them into the offense. Now, I don't think he's a... An organizer, and I think he throws way, way, way too many jump passes. But I think he's somebody that's got a more interesting offensive skill set than maybe I thought. And look, if you can swing a game on offense, I, I, that's always a guy that I think is going to get some leeway when it comes yeah. to uh, making your mark in the league. And I think it's easy to look at his, his, his stats uh, from his last year at NC State. And he shot, you know, 38% from the field, 33.5% from three. And those aren't good numbers. But I think when you went back and watched him and looked at some of the de degree of difficulty, first of all, almost all of his catch-and-shoot shots were guarded. He wasn't really left. He had gravity off the ball. And also, all of his pull-up shots, he didn't really have range at the three-point line. That's a real swing skill for him is to develop that. But when he was able to get into the paint, he had pretty good touch on the pull-ups. And again, a lot of those were coming off pick-and-rolls. A lot of those were guarded and contested. Uh, I think the degree of difficulty he was handling there brought some of those percentages down. I think there's a very projectable shot in there. I have confidence he will eventually be a pretty good shooter. He weighed 165 pounds <laughs> after his freshman season. As someone season. who weighed a similar weight at around his height in the past, I You're can tell you NBA I would have not been able no. to run through NBA athletes. And then so he, came, he, he came back to NC State with the explicit goal of gaining weight, and he lost two pounds. He somehow came into this combine and weighed 163 pounds. That is very, very, very small. And to your point, I think a lot of maybe the periphery skills that I wasn't sure he had, and he made a pretty good jump between his freshman and sophomore year in terms of assists. I think he went from like three and a half to seven assists per 100 possessions, so he almost doubled his assist rate. Uh, I think we saw him play pretty good defense in summer league. I thought he did a better than expected job going through screens. I thought he moved his feet well. I thought he had decent hands. It's going to be, and look, I think I may have overrated this a little bit with Isaiah Joe, so maybe I should not make that same mistake twice. It's going to be real tough for him to survive at 163 pounds, and after a year of not putting on any weight and, in fact, losing weight, I'm just not sure I have the confidence he's going to be able to get to where he needs to be physically, especially when you're talking about a guy on a two-way contract where you're probably not going to, like, look at the Sixers' history of two-way contracts. They usually don't stay here for multi-year rebuilds. Yeah. They've got to be able to show that they have a path towards being an NBA player pretty quickly. I... I'm hopeful. I think he's really skilled. I would actually like to see them change that this year. I think both Ricky Council, who we'll get to in a bit, and also Turk have a case that they might be worth making a two-year or even more commitment yeah. to use those slots, but historically they haven't. Um, I like him. I like almost everything about him except for the fact that I think he's going to die. <laughs> Let's not go that far. Right, before die on the court. <clears throat> okay. Uh, before we, I want to touch on that. To, to be fair, we did have a, a a a player almost die from an allergy before. So yeah, we might well, that need was a pretty sure, extreme yeah, yeah. case, I think. Uh, before we get, I want to touch on that Isaiah Joe comparison. Before we get back to that, we want to talk about our sponsor, DraftKings. You know, football is back, full swing with another week of epic games. And who's got you covered for the action for every single one of them? It's DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. If you want to get in on the NFL Week 2 action, you download the DraftKings Sportsbook right now. Use the code PHLY to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. It's only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PHLY. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 
please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. So, I want to point out, we've got Gavin making a joke. Let him hang out with Harden for an offseason. He'll be what was it, 300 pounds? <laughs> yeah. I had to say, Harden... That's a, dude, it's a real abrupt transition from an ad read into trying to That's hit true, up the that's true. I will say, it just came up, so once it's in my head, I can't not. Yeah. Harden looked pretty good in, in recent pictures. I don't want to do off-season body watch, and especially for a player that most of the fans don't want around. I'm not sure. He, he might not come into camp in a fat suit this year. He might change his script. Yeah, this might be a, he just has to be yeah. loud and, you know, yeah. making a scene in the press. But I, to your point, I do think from what I've seen, James posted a, on Instagram the other day, it was, a, I think it was not an ad, but sort of a promo for a new pair of his sneakers. And he looked pretty trim. So yeah, I, I think in a normal summer, Maybe, uh, to Gavin's point, we could put Terquavion Smith on the, the James Harden Las Vegas and Houston club uh, tour, but you know I don't think that's going to cut it this time. Uh, so circling back, to your point about Isaiah Joe and maybe I think I might be overcorrecting for what I missed with Isaiah because I did look a lot at one of the justifications I used when I would write and talk about him was well, the percentages are what they are. Like, I understand why people want Doc to play him, but at a certain point, a guy's got to produce yeah. results, right? And the mechanics are beautiful. It was, the, I, like, I just liked watching Isaiah Joe shoot. I think that's still true. People see the aesthetics, and they're like, wow, that kid just looks like a player. He looks like a shooter, and yeah. there's some of that. And it was trying to balance that against the fact that, look, he hasn't shot well in the, the few opportunities that he's gotten. And so I think I'm trying to remember that as we're talking about Terquavion. I don't want to go too far because, look, shot selection is tough, yeah. right? And guys who have poor shot selection in college, unless they're put into a, a hyper-defined role, mm -hmm. that might be a problem for the rest of his career. Now, the good thing for Terquavion is that if he is not playing in that hyper-defined role, mm -hmm. he's probably going to sit his ass on the bench next to Nick Nurse. I don't think a two-way guy or any young player is just going to have freelancing ability and be able to do whatever he wants. And so that almost leads me to be even more positive on him. I, I've seen the secondary skills that I think he'll be able to flash at different times, but they're not going to ask him to do that that much. They're going to say, you stand over here, you can hit a 25-foot jumper, and mm -hmm. teams will not be able to leave you alone. Like, that's yeah. the thing that I felt most confident about is that you put him in an off-guard role and you just say, you're spacing the floor and you wait. That ball comes to him and he's at all open. It's going up. Yep. And they have needed guys like that for a long time. Like, even their Tobias Harris, that's been one of the big problems for him. It's not that he can't shoot. It's that he doesn't no, want no. to a lot of the time. And so I think for all those reasons, that's why I'm pretty high on Terquavion. No, Tobias's problem is almost entirely they need him to be a goldfish. And he's very often not a goldfish. He's very yeah. often inside. <laughs> um, to your point, I mean, first of all, I always thought um, Isaiah Joe's shot would come around. I just wish it came around while he was here so that Doc would give him more of a chance. I always just felt like he just needed more time, more attempts, and that would eventually equalize. Would have been great if he would have played a couple of minutes with maybe Embiid and or Harden so they could create open looks. Don't, doesn't matter. Don't need to relitigate the pass. My point is with Isaiah Joe, though, I think it's probably a little bit easier to be a toothpick as an off-ball, like, run-around screens yeah, at a million miles an hour. Sure. Whereas Turk is going to – you're going to want to put the ball in his hands. He ran a lot of pick-and-roll in college. That is tougher to do as a undersized, understrength person than an off-ball player is. Like you saw it in college, he had struggled around the rim. I think he was right around 50%, which isn't good enough at the rim. A big part of that, it's not like he couldn't elevate. It's not like he didn't have body control or touch. He just got pushed around a lot. Um, so I worry a little bit because he is such an on-ball player. He can shoot off-ball. He can operate off-ball a little bit. But a lot of his value comes from the fact that he can also create with the ball in his hands, and that's going to be tougher at his size. I agree. So... I think next we probably want to talk about someone who I don't think will get pushed around will not be no. a problem. That was your number three guy. My I, saying he's my number four guy. It's, I think it's kind of it's, it's like a three a three b thing for me. But Jaden Springer, who's now been with the organization for a couple of years, 
came out of the and was if he wasn't the youngest player in his draft class, he was very close to being it. And so he's he's been young even for you know relative to his peers. And so I think that's probably why there's some excitement for his game and you know his ascent within the fan base. And I guess Derek, what are you sort of expecting on a on a broader level from Jaden this year? Yeah, I mean to your point, he's almost exactly the same age as Jaquavion Smith. Yeah. Almost exactly the same age, despite the fact that this is, you know, he's been in the league a couple of years now. Um, you know, I think with, with Jaden Springer, you just look at him, like you mentioned, he's got an NBA body. Yeah. And his defense, you could put him in now, he's an NBA defender right now. He'd probably be one of their best defenders right I now. I agree. In terms of the versatility, you know, he's got long arms, he can play up a position, he can move his feet to play down a position, he can get through screens, he can recover quickly. He has everything, and especially when you start talking about the changes of Nick Nurse, some of the changes that we just talked about a little earlier uh, when we were talking about Maxi and what he wants to do defensively and the way he's going to want to pressure the ball, the way he's going to want to collapse on people driving down the lane and then try to recover back. He gives you all of that versatility. He really could, and also he's really good at, at you know, making deflections, at making high-value generating plays. He just, it's really simple with him. It's really, really simple. He needs to make an open corner three. Yeah. If he does that, he will get time. And that's always been in question. You know, he has certainly played better here uh, in the last few years in the G League. Uh, last year, he shot, still didn't shoot great in the G League, but he scored a little more. They just need him to be able to plant his feet in the corner. You know, that P.J. Tucker where he's in cement and doesn't move and make an open shot. And if he can do that, he will get time. I just think he fits so well in Nick Nurse's defensive schemes and what he wants to do and what he prioritizes and what he values. But that shot's a huge question mark. And yeah. he's worked on it for sure. He worked his butt off on it. Now will it translate? So at Summer League, it was such a roller coaster for me in the beginning where because he's been in the league a few years now, I was expecting him to come in right away and just dominate those games. And I, I don't think that's what we saw in the first couple of games out in Utah. And to me, that's always a gigantic red flag. Yeah. When, when you have a third-year guy out at Vegas or out in Utah mm -hmm. and they're not absolutely dismantling the competition, that tends to signal, all right, this is going to be a big problem. But to his credit, as the summer league wore on and you know, get out to Vegas, I thought Jaden really started to, to come into his own. I thought you did see him start to get more comfortable with the shot. He's knocking down some catch-and-shoot jumpers, which, as you point out, that's going to be a, a, a giant thing for him this season and moving forward. And I just think, you know, Doc harped on it constantly last year that he thought he could be an all-defense-level guy. And if we're saying, you know, most important young guy after Paul Reed and Tyrese Maxey, I think the, the biggest selling point for him, is, if we're talking about, Nick Nurse is like Nick Nurse could throw him in there right now and yep. say you're going to check this guy and you need to try to shut this guy down and I think Jaden if he can't do it completely I think he's going to give them a puncher's chance to to shut down a lot of guards and and slow down a bunch of yeah. you know smaller wings and force turnovers and get yes. them out in the break and and he's going to be able to fill those lanes on the break too he really I think with what Nick Nurse wants to do I think he checks a lot of boxes but it doesn't matter if you're a role player who can't shoot. Yeah. Like you need to have gravity as a role player, especially on a team with Joel Embiid, but really on every team in the league. Like we're at a point where if your guy can help off of you, we watch it all gosh darn year. And P.J. Tucker even makes threes and people still help off of him. Like the bar to actually have gravity nowadays is higher than it's ever been because people learn or teams have learned how important that is. You've got to be confident. You've got to be willing. You, you can't hesitate. And the ball's got to go in. And that's a big, big leap for him to make. But Look, put him on the floor. I want to see. I, I want to see that defense and see how good it is, so I know how much of an appetite I have for his shooting. Yeah, and the other thing with him, I mean, you mentioned he's got an NBA body, but I think we think a lot about it on on defense. Like oh, he can, guys are not going to go through him, around him, whatever. I, I think the other important thing is he guys bounce off him when he's trying to dribble to the rim. Now he's got some issues with. And this goes back to when he's coming out of Tennessee. He's a two-footed leaper, and, and sometimes he's able to lean into a guy and create that separation with his shoulder, and then he essentially gives that separation back by loading mm -hmm. up the jump. I did think he did a slightly better job of that as Summer League wore on and showed 
know, he obviously he can finish around the rim and he's been able to get to the free throw line a ton. And so if he's able to continue to do that and he can wield that physical advantage on offense, that's going to cut into some of the problems that he has. But it's sort of similar to all the other role players where he's not going to make a living as an on ball guy. Right. Like maybe as a slasher attacking closeouts, but. The closeouts don't come, come. Yeah. if you can't shoot. Like as much as you say, oh, that guy can dribble a little bit and get into somebody's body, you have to bring him out to you first, or, or none of that matters. So uh, I'm ho- I know he's a hard worker. The team loves him, all that stuff, and so I'm hopeful that Jaden can t- turn the corner as a shooter. But that's that's ultimately all it comes down to. His catch and shoot numbers from last year, he shot overall 34% on catch and shoot shots, which is not good enough. And when he had a hand in his face and that was guarded, that fell to 25.6%. So teams are going to feel like they can help off of him and still recover because even if they're in the vicinity, he's going to have a tough time making that shot and making them pay. He needs to – look, again, he's put in a lot of work here over the last couple of years. It needs to go in. It needs yeah. to start going in. And this might be like he's, they've got a fourth-year option on him on pretty good money uh, for a team that – is going to want him to have max cap space next year. He's got to show something to have that picked up. Yeah, well, you know who else needs to make shots to stay on this roster, let alone make an impact? That's our, our final guy on our list, Ricky Council the Fourth, who we do need to tell the backstory of Ricky Council the Fourth for uh, the – I can't – I'm blanking on the name right now. The, the listener that said they don't know who Ricky Council and Sir Quavion Smith are, so – Ricky Council the fourth is not the fourth in the sense that it was like a, a great four generation. Ricky Council the fourth has two other brothers who are also named Ricky Council. So their father is the original Ricky Council. And then there's Ricky Council the second, his son, Ricky Council the third, his son, and Ricky Council the fourth who is on the Sixers right. and also his son, which is, I, I don't know that I've ever heard of that. I think that's, I, I did a, saying I did a double take would be really <laughs> underselling it, but no, that's, listen, I, the, the important thing is I hope they were able to figure out who was who when they're being called or yelled at by their parents growing up because my mom and my family struggled with like, oh, we share a similar first letter in our name. I can't imagine having two more Kyles running yeah. around the house and all the problems that would have caused for me. No, when I, like you, when I first saw the name, I'm like, wow, that's four generations of a lack of creativity. But no, it's just one father with a lack of creativity, I guess. I don't know. It's very <laughs> I weird. don't want to go that far. You just really I like the name. I mean, if you use the same name three times in a row, that's not creative. It doesn't mean it's a bad name. It's just all not right. a creative name. All right, last one on the, sm- on the list here is Ricky Council. Overall thoughts, I mean, obviously the shot. Yeah, so, I mean, similar to Jaden Springer, but I would even go a step further with the, oh, the NBA body and athleticism. Yeah. Like, he is a crazy, crazy athlete, big frame, and a guy who honestly in college was able to bully a lot of people on the way to the rim did not shoot well at all. And I think if you just look at the mechanical issues he has, it's really disjointed. There's You don't look at him rising up to shoot a jumper and say, I think that's going in. No, it's I, always like, oh, that was ugly, and it's a hope and a prayer, and maybe you bank one in, and maybe it rattles in. And I, I think there have been there have been attempts maybe to change the mechanics so far. I, I don't know what sort of work they're doing in the practice facility or with any trainers that he's got right now, but that's like the biggest thing. If he was an average shooter – He's a guy who you can stick on like real wings. Like Jaden Springer can size up and play some smaller guys. Ricky Council is big enough that he can guard big wing type players yep. and he can slide around screens. He can get into people's chests. Like there are a lot of opportunities they would have to mix and match and play small and sleek lineups. But it, it's the, the jumper is the whole thing. If he doesn't yeah. make any improvement there, I just, I think he's to your point about two way guys. I don't think he'll be on the roster very long, let alone, you know, playing in the rotation. Yeah, going, going back to my write-up I made after they, they, they signed him, about the biggest compliment I can give his current shooting form is that he gets good elevation on the jumper before he throws it in the general direction of the rim. <laughs> Everything after the elevation, and even before the elevation, quite frankly, because I think his footwork is pretty bad too, is really, really bad. There's no, And it's true off-ball, 
Like his form off ball breaks down, his confidence breaks down. It's true certainly on ball when he's shooting off a dribble. There is just nothing about his, his jumper other than the fact that he can elevate that I currently like. And to your point, like keeping him around long term, I think you have to keep him around long term because I don't think this is a, you know, give him reps and see if he figures out the jumper. I think you've got to tear it down. I think this has got to be a, a coaching staff fully dedicated to trying to completely rebuild his jump shot back up because he has no chance right now. He has no chance with that jumper. And everything else about him, not everything, but he can do a little bit of everything. He's not necessarily, especially offensively, he's not great at a whole lot, but he can do a little bit of a lot of things. Defensively, he's got the body and the athleticism that you need right now from day one to defend multiple positions and get back on screens like we just mentioned with, with, with Nick Nurse. He's kind of like the player that you would want in his system. He can help and recover and trap and force turnovers and do all of that stuff. But boy, that jumper is as bad as I've seen in a long time. I'm starting to have PTSD, man. There have been way too many Sixers players who it's like, man, they got everything but the jump shot. And they play on a team and in a league yeah. where that is maybe the most important thing. Right? Yeah. It's hard. You can't be a <laughs> How role many player. of these guys can they can they possibly draft now, and sign? There have been some success stories. Unfortunately, most of them have been successes elsewhere. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, look, the the optimist would say, maybe certainly not to the same degree as Ricky Council, but Tyrese was a bit of a, a shooting question mm -hmm. mark coming sure. in. There were some positive. Jeremy signs Grant, unfortunately, like I said, that came to fruition when he left yeah. here, but he was a, a certainly a success. By the way, story. Jeremy Grant is never listed as one of. Hinky's like successes I feel yeah. like he gets kind of lost because he wasn't here that long but that was uh maybe lost in the shuffle a little bit like yeah not probably not worth the contract he's on no but, but a good NBA player very good NBA long time. player yeah yep. uh all right before we transition into talking about the uh the old fogies instead of all the exciting young players I gotta tell you about our sponsor game time game time is a you know a place where I know you guys just like me have been stressed about Securing tickets for different concerts, different sporting events, different... I don't know if anybody here is a theater guy. I actually went to see Phantom of the Opera this year. It was okay. the last run on Broadway. So my wife and I went and saw it. It was a, a great time. And the ability to secure tickets at the last minute and at a reasonable price, too. It's a thing that, you know, it matters. It, nobody wants to go to... You want to go to a game, you want to go to a concert, but you don't want to have to pay half your paycheck to be able to go to one. So Game Time's a company and an app that allows you to do that. The, you get flash deals and last minute tickets. It's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event. And I know I harped on this yesterday, but the images of seat views is such a huge thing, especially as someone who's traveled all over the world and had much different stadium experiences when you're in different places. You end up behind a wall or in an obstructed view and you paid all this money for a ticket to see this big game and you don't actually see it. You might see part of it. And so game time actually allows you to, to avoid that problem. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in, in the country for good reason. And you can snag tickets without the stress with game time. You download the game time app, create an account and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code PHLY for $20 off, download game time today, last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. That's a good point. That's a good point in the chat. I'm surprised there was a last run of Phantom of the Opera. That's been going for almost as long as I've been it's, alive. Dude, it's crazy. Like. And honestly, it was that was the incentive I had to go and see it was because... Look, I'm not. I'm, I'm a basketball writer. I'm, we're not. Uh, <laughs> we're not cultured. Actually, it's, uh, Gina Mizell, a colleague of ours, is a big Broadway and musical theater person, and so that's not true of everybody on the beat. But we are not a lot of like musical snobs. But Phantom of the Opera was something I actually learned to play the theme on a keyboard or a piano mm -hmm. in middle school as part of a music class, and so I was like, oh, this has like been part of my life for all right. these years, and I've never seen it, and seemed like a cool opportunity and it, it really was i was glad we went and did it tai tai phantom of the opera is beyond washed yeah, no, that, no tai tai says the phantom is washed so we're that's, all right i i would tend to agree on that one next segment of the podcast <laughs> speaking of washed how much does danny green have left <laughs> i promise we were not going to say use that phrase but tai tai brought it up 
Yeah. So Danny Green, who he signed what? End of last week? Yeah, somewhere in there. Middle of last week? Non-guaranteed contract, 15th player on the roster. Yep. Yeah. So Danny Green, obviously Sixers fans are very familiar with. Some of you, I believe, like him or, or dislike him more than others. He was... You know, like any role player on the Sixers, I felt like he was weirdly controversial. It's yeah. not the guy who I think is worth like tons of anger. Even when he was the, the fifth starter, he was brought here to play a role. He played that role. He's a good character locker room guy. But something that Derek and I were discussing in our pre-show meeting was, you know, how much how much can you rely on, quote unquote, locker room positivity yeah. and character guys on a basketball team that's got an MVP, like the reigning MVP and a guy who wants to compete now. You've got Tyrese Maxey on the ascent that I think next summer, once the cap space situation shakes out, it's going to demand quite a bit of money. They're hoping to bring in, you know, a real, a real guy or real guys, plural next summer to surround these guys. And then you look at the supporting pieces who are here and it's like, well, he's a good vibes guy, <laughs> and that's like you can have a couple of those, but you can only have so many vibes guys yep. and locker room guys before you say, who the hell is going to play for this team? Well, especially if you have six centers that can't play together and then a couple of vibes guys, like all of a sudden you don't have very many players left, and Nick Nurse doesn't tend to run deep rotations anyway. Uh, so, yeah, they could definitely use a little bit more depth. Dan Green played just eight games last year. Uh, obviously, he tore his ACL and his LCL in that Hawks series uh, a couple years back that – ill-fated hawk series we won't bring up any more about that suffered that injury came back i think right around just before the trade deadline eventually ended up in cleveland did shoot decently from three but i think when you go back and you watch it like a couple of those games and he played decent minutes in a couple of them right at the end he'd get up in somebody's face he'd really crowd crowd the ball and then he'd put the ball on the floor and he just didn't change directions at all and he'd either foul him or he'd someone pointed right it out by. in the chat mikey d says he can waddle around which i <laughs> That, I assume that's a reference to how Danny runs, which is, <laughs> yeah. is was, he's a much better athlete than I ever was, obviously, sure. much more accomplished in, in every way, but he does have a funky running style. Running yeah, style. Yeah. Now, look, is it worth having him in camp to maybe see if that slowness I just talked about comes just from the fact that he was on ice for so long and maybe he can get a little bit of that back? Like he's still only like 36, I think, 35, 36, 36. Yeah. Which compared to like PJ Tucker, like he's you know he's got a couple it's of years on him. It's a few years of difference, which is I will tell you, a few years in your thirties is a meaningful difference. It is, it is. So it's not completely out of the question. He could maybe develop back into being like a ten-minute per game role player type. Like I don't want to say he's completely zero percent chance. You want to bring him in and see how he looks physically in camp. Fine, whatever. And not to be too big about there. Like I think a few people make too big of of the thing. Like oh, they're out of roster spots. Like what are you gonna do? Well. If somebody came loose that you wanted on your roster, like there's a lot of people with non-guaranteed contracts you can get rid of. It doesn't really matter right now. Yeah. The problem is they don't have enough depth, not that they have their roster spots filled. Anyway, sure, give them a chance. I don't have my expectations high, though. But Well, to the, to the point about non-guaranteed contracts, I think it's a strategy that sort of relies on uh, James Harden for several players back and yeah. several real players back trade, right? Like it, Danny Green as a 15th man, great. Like Danny, for whatever faults he has in his mid-30s, understands who he is. He's always been a, a great role player. He's been on a lot of winning teams. He's not going to cause a fuss if he doesn't play much. Right. He's going to go out on the floor. He's going to run corner to corner. He's probably going to get roasted in, in man defense at this point, but is a smart team defender will come up with some timely steals he'll hit transition threes and if he's called into action he'll do what he he needs to do and, and right. he'll get along with joel and everybody else and, and that'll be all well and good but if they're relying on him for anything more than that that is a sign yep. that uh things have gone horribly awry with this team yep yep i really i don't have too much on danny just because i think like it's I just don't get bent out of shape at 15th roster spot on a non-guaranteed contract. It's whatever. Yeah, but it's so. like with anything. Look, it, nothing's going on except for in terms of roster movement right now. Sure. Nothing's really happening aside from James Harden is just agitating people and yep. trying to get a trade. And so 
when uh, a Danny Green gets signed, it's like, oh, this is all they're doing when the yeah, Harden situation yeah, yeah, yeah. is looming over them. So I can understand why there's the initial pushback. Like, wow, they're signing every washed motherfucker in the league and well, <laughs> like things like episode that. Episode two and you're dropping MFers. All well, right, all know, right. That's, we're there. that's we're the there. whole reason to do a podcast yeah. and not go on the radio, buddy. I get a lot of frustration at what they did or more specifically what they didn't do in July. I think it's 100% fair. Uh, it, yeah, tough spot. It is what it is. That's it's the team they have, not the team that they yep. probably want to have. All right, in terms of more... Slow guys. Somebody, uh, Miles said, Daryl has built the slowest and least athletic team in the it's league. Not wrong. I'm certain. Which, not, yeah, I'm sure he has. Lit slightly extreme. I don't know. Can you name one? That's not off the top of my head. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, is there a chance they make a change in the starting lineup? And the obvious change here would be, and this is going to assume that James Harden comes back. Because if he doesn't come back, then it's hard to really... You're, it's going to be tough to find five starters, which is a conversation we will have if he does eventually hold out. And if there's a trade, obviously, then everything will be changed anyway. And we'll, you know... The obvious change here would be taking P.J. Tucker out, putting DeAnthony Melton in. There might be a variation or two that some people might argue, but is that a change you think they should make and will make? So I was a big proponent of the three-guard lineup last season. I wanted to see more of it. I do think Doc gave it a decent amount of chances to succeed, you know, for whatever issues Doc had with not playing guys or rotations that people didn't like. I do think he gave that group enough runway that we could say, all right, we saw what they have. And the not that PJ at this point is like Mr. Rebounds and Dennis Rodman out there. My concern with any of the smaller lineups is that they're all reliant on Joel and Tobias mm -hmm. to be pretty high-level rebounders. And Tobias is definitely not. not that. Yep. Joel is capable of it. But I think, and I wrote about this in our, the first piece I did yesterday, I think rebounding is the area where I'm most consistently disappointed by Joel mm -hmm. when it's you know sloppy mechanics, poor positioning. It's clear that on some nights he mails it in an effort on rebounding because when he does get after it and he does attack the glass, he's a completely different player. Like he's a yeah. guy who could go out there and get 20, 25 rebounds if he really wanted to. He could go and get basically every single defensive rebound and start a fast break and you know throw outlets to guys, but he doesn't do it. And so I, in, on paper, in theory, I would love to see more of the smaller lineups, more of the you're putting as much guard play as possible around Joel because I think the key to building a, a good to great team around Joel is you put him inside the arc, he gets doubled, and every guy that you kick the ball out to can either make a three or attack off the dribble. Like PJ's not scaring anybody off the dribble, but you have James and Tyrese and Tobias and DeAnthony. Like, yeah, DeAnthony's a little more erratic, but at least yeah. like I think as a straight line driver, He's good enough that he can pose a threat to these guys. So, yes, in theory, I would like to see P.J. move to the bench. But then you also bring up the complications of can P.J. be effective in a bench role and with bench lineups? Yep. That, that, to me, is the other big question. Yeah. No, he, he needs those shots created for him where he's just, you know, he basically like just getting his workout in, getting his cardio in on the floor, uh, especially offensively. That lineup that we mentioned there had a plus 5.8 net rating last year. That sounds good, but the lineup with um, PJ had a plus 13 net rating. And the baseline in years past with the Joel Embiid lineup is usually somewhere in the 15 to 20 range. So plus yeah. 5.8 isn't cutting it. Not the biggest sample size in the world, but not completely small either. And I will say, I think my biggest concern comes down on the defensive side of the court. I, that lineup specifically got pretty lucky. Like I think opponents only shot about 34% from three on them. That defense could be, have been worse, could have cut into that net rating. My concern is that for as good as D'Anthony Melton is, and I think he gives you a lot of stuff as an on-ball defender, um, I think he has pretty good hands, he doesn't get through screens well. That's his one real kryptonite on defense. And when you combine that then with Maxi, who's really bad at getting through screens, and James Harden, who just doesn't try, there's just a lot of people you can pick on on that side of the floor. Yeah. And it's going to be real tough to find matchups where that's not going to be exploited. And also you're a, sh a short trio. Um, like if it was maybe a, a bigger two-guard than Maxi or a better defender than James Harden, it might work a little bit better. 
my concern comes down on the on the defensive side of the floor. That being said, P.J. Tucker might have just progressed to a point in his career. That's that's a, a real nice way of me saying he's gotten older, <laughs> where you might be forced to make this change anyway. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think people love to say coaches they don't like that will only play veteran guys and older guys, but I think Nick Nurse is going to be a lot more similar to Doc than people think in terms of defensive-minded veteran players are almost always going to get the benefit of mm -hmm. the doubt from coaches. It's And P.J. especially is a guy who's been through tons of wars, who at points in his career he's been called a quote-unquote LeBron stopper. He's getting after people. Like He's somebody that has trust even far beyond what he probably warrants at this stage mm -hmm. of his career. Yeah. And so, look, I'm not saying that Nick Nurse is going to just – blindly trust him no matter what and keep playing him when he's stinking it up out there. But I would caution against thinking he's just going to throw PJ in a dumpster and yeah. haul him off somewhere. I think that's probably fair. All right. We have one more segment to get to probably not to cut the Nick nurse segment out. I feel like we're running a little later on time, probably spoke a little more about Turquavion Smith than I thought, but <laughs> I knew Kyle was pretty passionate about that subject. My guy Turquavion, but we don't want to shortchange the Nick discussion. So we'll push that to another day. We are going to be podcasting quite often, Kyle. How often do we podcast? Five days a week. We'll have time to talk about Nick nurse. Uh, before we get to that though, I want to tell you about FOCO. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms, and it's football season and tailgating season. By the way, I've got a tailgate here coming up. Uh, over, they have overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, everything you need for a game. And FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. FOCO always has our back and for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use the promo code PHLY for 10% off. All right, so I think here this last uh, last little bit, you had a rant you wanted to get to on the new load management changes, which I believe were just officialized. So, yeah, not necessarily a rant, but there have been some changes that were being discussed at the league level that actually, while we were on the show, were ratified by the NBA Board of Governors. And so now we're at the point that there have been lots of Lots of arguments, debates, and now formal changes regarding load management over the years. And so essentially the rules, as I understand it, are you can never rest two stars in the same game. Right. And this was actually the point of distinction I did not realize until I read deeper into it was that you're not going to be able to rest stars in basically any national TV game is what it was implied. Yep. Now, I think that's more of a step than maybe I was expecting. I thought it, there was going to be some leniency and maybe this only applied to national TV games. So that's kind of interesting. But I, I'm just kind of sick of all these half measures. You know, shout out to RC. Got himself some gear yesterday. Hope everybody else has seen the, the merch that's on our site. We have some beautiful t-shirts from uh, our creative director and, and if you sign up to be a diehard not only do you get all of our written content but you get 20 percent off of that merch look at that but mm -hmm. yeah so to tie ty's point he says there's going to be a lot more cases of lower back stiffness now yeah. that's always my concern with all these fixes quote unquote for load management is that you're not actually fixing the problem which is that i think there are too many games i think there are too many games on top of each other and the only way you're going to fix that yep. is by doing one of two things. You either need to start the season earlier and say, we're going to begin games in late September or October 1st, whatever you want to do. I know the NBA wants to avoid overlap with the NFL if they can and the start of the NFL season. But you start the season earlier. You have several more weeks of, of game time. That makes a difference. You, yep. you cut down on the back-to-backs. There's less reason to rest and, and take guys out for load management. The other side of that is you just play less games. And that's the one they'll never do, right? Yep. They're not going to say, instead of playing 82, we're going to play 70 or we're going to play 64 or whatever mm -hmm. it is. If anything, you look at the NFL, the NFL is the sport where they really need to play less games with you know all the concussion-based impact and, and brain injuries and the, the physical toll that sport takes on those guys' bodies. And they added another game. They added a whole week to the schedule. And so 
sports are or sports leagues and owners and, and the people who run these leagues are never going to do the thing that they would actually need to do to ensure that star players and, and all players for that matter are playing as many games as fans want them to. I think it's absolutely criminal. I think these guys should be available for as many games as humanly possible. I hate that we show up at the arena on a lot of nights and it's, I can't tell you if Joel is playing or James is playing or Tyrese is playing because it, it just hangs in the balance. It's, well, does this game matter enough for Tyrese to push through? And look, I think a lot of times it gets pinned on the players because there are old quotes from people like a Michael Jordan or LeBron James, like the guys at the absolute zenith of the, the sport who say, I felt like it was my job. I'm in a city one time a year. I need to put on a show and I need to be out there. And so that's used as a weapon against these guys who are resting now. Mm -hmm. I don't think the players want to rest. Like if you were to talk to Joel and he said it publicly, Joel's not the guy who's advocating like I need to sit down tonight. That's a decision made by way more people than Joel and people technically, but not actually higher than Joel in, in organizations. And so I think at some point there needs to be a real awakening here at the league level. I just don't suspect they're ever going to sacrifice the money no, that it would take will. to get there. And you're right. There is only one real solution to it. Play fewer games. It's very obvious. It's also very obvious why it'll never happen. They want their money. And not only the owners, but the players, like they get that split of the BRI too. They want that money. So the other option is, all right, well, push back to the start of the season, make the season last longer. Um, you've got to collectively bargain that with the players. This is the easiest change to make. It doesn't really fix anything. I'm uncomfortable with the league. You know, teams don't do this because they want to screw over the fans or make less money. They do this because they think it gives them the best chance to win. Yeah. And I'm uncomfortable with the league dictating how teams should operate and how teams should go about strategizing on how, what to do to give them the best chance to win. But this is what they're doing because it's costing them money because it's really frustrating, um, you know, fans. And I get it. But it is, it's a, it's a Band-Aid for a gaping wound. It's not going to fix anything. And I think the toughest part is because the NBA essentially becomes a different sport in the playoffs, more so than other sports, right? Like it's every sport has higher intensity in the playoffs and it's officiated slightly differently. But I think it's most extreme in the playoffs. Like the yeah. Miami Heat going to the finals is probably a great yeah. example of just how things change and seating might not matter and these guys really gear up like there's playoff Jimmy Butler. Sorry that I had to say his name. I know that's like a, a trigger warning for people who still wanted him here. But I think because of that, the incentive structure in the NBA, it's very hard to make it so that teams are going to right. expose guys to any more risk, not 1% more of risk than they need to in the regular season, which is a shame because like you look at football or I'm a big EPL guy, as we talked about yesterday, I'm a Liverpool guy. And if you sit in a game during the EPL season, you are harming your team's chances to win the actual title. Yep. There are no, uh, we're going to turn it on in the playoffs. It's we need every single one of these wins and points that we can get. And that's a problem with the NBA broadly that I don't think they're going to fix, but they need to fix instead of saying, well, we're going to make up load management rules yeah. and find people and, and do all this other bullshit. Well, and that's the other way to get stars to play. Make the games actually matter. The way you matter is you have fewer games so that each game has an actual material impact on the standings and on your ability to make the playoffs. Everything comes down to they're playing too many games, but playing that many games brings them in a lot. I don't know if you've seen the latest BRI calculations. The salary cap is freaking large. Yeah. A, a lot of, we're talking about $60 million contracts. That's because they're bringing in revenue. Oh, no, we have an Everton fan in here, RC. By the way, thank you to Sam, who stepped away. And, yeah, we, we figured we'd talk about the, uh, the young guys and some more exciting stuff, or at least uplifting things today yeah. and not yeah. James Harden. Uh, but, yeah. That's... I am sure something will happen in the James Harden saga, which will bring us back to him. Close, exactly. Closing up the load management thing, the fines for it are pretty severe. Uh, 100K for the first violation, 250 for the second, 1.2 million for the third, and then an additional million dollars escalating on each one after that. We've seen NBA owners, including local owners, selling draft picks for a couple million dollars. They don't want to be losing this kind of money because the player's not playing. So 
you know, I hope the Sixers, Nick Nurse, Joel Embiid, whoever comes up with this, have some pretty creative reasons for Joel Embiid missing games so that Josh Harris can still maintain his lifestyle. Yeah, I'm not sure the old uh, knee soreness or ankle soreness or, or any yeah. of those are going to work as General well. soreness. General soreness, our old friend. Always goes back to Jimmy. All right, I think that's <laughs> probably a pretty good place to cut this show off. Thank you, Kyle, once again for joining me. Thank you all of the people watching live and those who will subscribe um Hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, follow us on our socials. And uh, obviously, I will actually be out the next couple of days. I have an important wedding that I'm going to, but I believe Derek will be joined by our friend. This uh, was a trial run. He failed. (laughs) Derek will be joined by our our good friend, Rich Hoffman, I believe, over the next couple of days. So I hope you guys give Rich the the warm and and amazing reception that he deserves. And then I'll be back to... Back, back next week. And I mean, Rich will be on every week at some point. So yeah. we'll have some three people pods as well for eventually when Devon Givens is able to join us. But Somebody actually said very early in the show that they missed the Devon the, uh, the hovering head, was, head yeah, the yeah. cartoon head. So uh, that was a really cool, uh, might, yeah. might have to be a featured Devon cartoon yeah. head segment every day. Well, until they come through with the fat head. All right. Thank you, Kyle, once again for jumping on. Talk to you soon next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Silly like the mayor.